I will be reading Matthew 22, verses 35 through 40 from the complete Jewish Bible. And it says, And one of them, who was a Torah expert, asked a shalad to trap him. Rabbi, which of the mitzvot in the Torah is the most important? He told him, You are to love Adonai, your God, with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. This is the greatest and the most important mitzvah, and a second is similar to it. You are to love your neighbor as yourself. All of the Torah and the prophets are dependent on these two mitzvot. We have a treat today. Michael Mahoney is going to be sharing the word of God with us. We thank you, Lord God, for your gifts and calling. They're precious. It is an honor, Lord God, to serve you, to be called not only your children, but your servants and your friends. And we thank you, Lord God, for raising Mike and Lynn. Thank you, Lord God, for giving them a heart for you, a heart for people, a heart of compassion. And we pray, Lord God, for the anointing of your Ruach upon them, Lord, to come in full measure. Lord God, that they will go forth not in their strength and their wisdom, but that they will go forth in your power and the anointing from your spirit, Lord God, to accomplish all that you have laid out for them to do. Thank you, Lord, that your word goes forth from Zion and goes forth to the nations. And we pray, Lord God, that you'll go before them, that you will prepare the way. Lord God, and that what they do would be led and empowered by your spirit and that it would bear much fruit, Lord. To your honor and glory, we pray in the name of Yeshua. What I want to share with you right now is something that's on my heart and has been on my heart. And actually, I feel a rising passion in my spirit about what I want to share with you today. And what I'm really sharing with you today is nothing more than the journey that God has had me on the journey that God has had Lynn and I on as a couple over the last several years. I've been one of those believers in the Lord that's had a very hard head. I grew up in Missouri where it's like, show me. Um, I've always been this, I can do whatever I put my mind to do. And even if that means, God, you're not working fast enough, you're not working in the ways I think you should, that's all right. Relax, I can take care of it. I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. And the Lord has been very lovingly and graciously showing me that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and I'm not. And in that, in that I find great joy and great peace and great stability that I never had before. So what I want to do is kind of dovetail a little bit with the messages that the Lord has laid on Haim's heart about us being a priestly nation. He's been talking about what that means, and last week he shared what does it mean to be a priest that represents the people to God. And I want to dovetail with that this week because that's what's been on my heart, is what does it look like to be a priest but be the representative of God to the people? And so that's what I want to talk about this morning 
I want to share, first of all, as an introduction, a true story that came out of another experience of a young man that worked with ELIC, and this time in Mongolia. Please listen carefully to this. This is not fiction. This is not made up. This is an actual event. This is true story. He was a Mongolian English teacher living in inner Mongolia, China. He had been selected along with more than 100 other Chinese and Mongolian teachers to participate in a 40-day English language immersion program in the largest city in the region. From the very first day, he became one of the most dedicated participants in the immersion program. His scores on the English language placement test revealed his remarkable fluency in English. To the delight of everyone in the program, he was also a gifted singer of both Chinese and Mongolian songs. Midway through the summer, unfortunately, he became sick, but he continued to come to class. And when I asked him why he did not stay in the dormitory, he said that because everybody else was in the class, he was lonely in the dorm. Besides, he continued, if he missed class, he would miss some of my stories, and he would never get to hear them again. He had waited many, many years to speak to a foreigner, so he could not afford to miss a single class. Unfortunately, the next day, his condition worsened. And when I discovered he was absent, I decided to surprise him and visit him during the free time in the afternoons. The dormitory room was crowded with four sets of bunks, no closets, no restroom, no shower, one small table, one stool, and a stone floor. The air was conditioned by a window that led in an occasional breeze along with the ever-present pollution and the ever-present anti-American mosquitoes. Mold and mildew added to the decor. When I entered the room, the man was laying awake on a bottom bunk. His roommates were sitting on the other bunks, playing cards, smoking, eating, drinking. There was no quiet. There was no peace. And as I began talking to the suffering man, bunk by bunk, the other men became quiet. I sat down on the edge of the sick man's bed and continued telling him what happened in class that morning and retelling some of the anecdotes I had used as illustrations. After several minutes, I became the student, though, and his roommates, the teachers. They began sharing Mongolian myths and legends while practicing their English. A little later, the singing started, and apparently, I discovered, all Mongolians are accomplished vocalists. And several minutes of amazing music passed. You're getting tired, I said to the group after a few minutes, which was the signal in their culture that I needed to leave because I had something else to do. One of the Mongolian men sitting across the room from me was a professor of Mongolian language and culture in a nearby university. He was a close friend of the teacher that I was visiting. As I stood up to leave, he stood up and came across the room and firmly took my hand. Are you the God, he asked. Why do you ask that, I replied. And in the voice of someone who was speaking for an entire nation, he answered, when I was a young man, I learned that there was a God who loved strangers, and would do anything it took to help them. The God would appear as a real person anywhere and in any culture. And he was patient, and he was kind. He looked at me while still holding my hand. You, you don't know us, he declared. 
yet you come all the way from prosperous North America to, to help us poor people. Foreign teachers almost never visit their students at home or in their dormitory, especially if the student is not feeling well. He continued to hold my hand. Though you might become sick from the germs in this room, you still come to sit with my friend. You treat him as if he were a very important person, not just a simple, poor Mongolian teacher. You came through the rain to see him, and no one told you to. And he has nothing to give you in return. The professor took me closer to the young man, still holding on to my hand, who is now sitting up. And he said, look at him. Look at him. He's so much better now. You helped him. Isn't that what the God does? You see, we have to embrace the fact. We have to embrace the reality that we as God's children are the face of God to the world around us. We have to embrace that. We have to understand what that means. We have to understand the seriousness when we distort that. Are we when, when we neglect that? Or when we remain in our own little world, so self-absorbed and, and involved in self-pity. And we look upon those around us with such needs and we turn our head. We have to understand what it means to be the face of God, to be the priest that represents God to people. We have to understand. We have to understand that we're people of destiny. Do you know that? Do you understand that? Can you accept that? We're people of destiny. In Romans 8, verse 29, the scripture says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. We are people of destiny. In 1 Corinthians 15, 49, we see, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. You see, really, it's a matter of kingdom citizenship. And I'm not sure that we've really grasped what that means. But you see, when we're outside of a saving relationship with our God and King, we're in the kingdom of darkness. We're in the kingdom of self. We're in the kingdom of this world. If you will, the kingdom whose little g, God, is the adversary himself. And all the things that characterize that kingdom, all the hurt and all the pain and all the darkness and all the self-absorption and self-exaltation are things that run totally contrary to the kingdom of light, to the kingdom of love, to the kingdom of God. And so we have to understand that we, as his children, have been called and saved and adopted out of that kingdom of darkness into his marvelous kingdom of light. And therefore, he is our sovereign Lord and King now. And that kingdom takes on the characteristics and the qualities of the king. And therefore, his citizens should also. So therefore, it is our destiny as a citizen of the kingdom of God to be conformed to the king, to be conformed to him who is the Lord. That is our destiny. That is what we are called to be. We are the image or the face of God. 2 Corinthians 
and we all with unveiled faces reflecting the glory of the Lord, or another translation says, or we see as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into His image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, to understand the the impact of what this is saying, you have to understand the context here in 2 Corinthians 3. This is right in the middle of a discussion in which it's talking about Moses and how Moses went up on the mount and stood in the very presence of God, receiving the Torah, receiving the Ten Commandments after he'd broken the first set of tablets. He was now receiving the second set of tablets. And when he came down after being in the presence of God and in the presence of his word, it said what? His face radiated with the glory of God. So much so that the people of Israel said, Moses, Moses, we cannot stand in your presence like this. And he veiled his face. But you see, that radiant glory was not generated from Moses himself. It was generated by his spending time in the presence of God, in his word. We have to see that. We have to understand that because it says we with unveiled faces. God is saying, do not veil your faces. Let the glory of God shine to everyone around you, everywhere. And know that as you spend time in the presence of God, you are being changed from one degree of glory to another in increasing glory. And don't forget, this is not from us. It says it's from the Spirit the presence of God within our lives. For he tells us what? We are the temple of his presence. And therefore, we should radiate the Shekinah glory of God from our lives just as being reflected from a mirror. It comes from the Spirit. And so I want to share with you verses that we're very, very familiar with. Galatians 5, 22 through 25. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, and self-control. Nothing in the Torah stands against such things as these. Moreover, those who belong to Messiah Yeshua have put their old nature to death, along with its passions and desires. Since it is through the Spirit that we have life, Let also it be through the Spirit that we order our lives day by day. The Greek word for fruit there is karpos, and it means the outward expression of an inner quality or character. So what we're seeing here as the temple of God, the residence of God through His Spirit within our very lives, that what these qualities are, this fruit is definitely of the Spirit. We need to be radiating these qualities that don't come from us, cannot come from us, will never come from us, but come from the indwelling presence of God's Spirit in our lives. And we must never, ever quench the fire of the Spirit. Ever. We must, with unveiled faces, let the power of His Spirit radiate from our lives in lives that are examples of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, and gentleness, and meekness, and self-control. Now, 
since we are in the image of God and since we are called to imitate him and live a life of love. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Live a life of love. And then the next word has always been so troubling to me. The translation I have here says, just or as Messiah loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's one of those four-letter words that are troubling to me. Just. Just. So let me ask you a question. How did Messiah love me? How did he love you? Because just as he loved us, he calls us forth to go and love those around us. So how did he love us? Under what conditions did he love us? Well, there's a lot of places in Scripture we can look. I only want to look at two because of the constraints of time. Because everything I'm talking about now could be spent on a multi-week series. So we have to condense this down. Listen carefully to this. In Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 10, it says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even more powerfully in verse 10, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Again, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived at one time, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, And we were, listen carefully, by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, he made us alive with Messiah. It's by grace. You've been saved. I want you to get a hold of this. We have so many problems in our lives of faith because we forget this. We forget what we deserve in and of ourselves. We forget what our condition outside of Messiah was. We forget the magnitude of this gift of grace that he has reached down into our lives and called us to him and forgiven us and now adopted us as his son, and made us co-heirs with Messiah himself, blessing us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. We forget who we were, so we don't value what we have. And that's the way we interact with each other. Because we forget what I deserve. We forget where I came from. And so we don't treat each other with the character of God. You know, the Lord is so good. 
because one of the verses that I wanted to share with you was be reading this morning from the Torah. If I'm to be an imitator of God, if I'm to love the way he loved, then Exodus 34, 6 through 7 tells me a little bit about what that looks like. The Lord speaking about himself and his character and his own heart. He said, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Now, we can't ultimately forgive sin, not in that way, but we can forgive those who sin against us. And that's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do. The scripture says in 1 John that God is love. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for God is love. He that loves God knows God. There's another verse in there that shows us the flip side of that. And he says, we say we love God. But how can we say we love God who we cannot see? if we don't love our brother or sister who we do see. He says, you're fooling yourself. How I've had to fall on my face before God so many times in my life because I've held on to anger and I've held on to an offense and I've held on to bitterness that I allowed to rise in my heart against a brother or sister in Christ. And the Lord said, "Uh -uh. uh-uh, uh-uh. Mm -mm. don't come before me with your offerings and think that they're acceptable in that state of mind. You lay them down and you go get right. I tell you right now, your prayers are hindered until you get this right. And it's been painful for me to do so. But God unleashed his blessings when I was obedient. And that's what he calls us this morning to look at to love as he loved. Luke 6, 27 through 38. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Isn't it amazing that we read that and you go, oh man, I can't do that. I can't do that. What is he asking me to do? What did he just say that he did? Romans five ten. what does it say? While I, make it personal, while you, while we, We're enemies. What does it say he did? He loved. So what is he asking us to do here? To be an imitator of God, therefore, and live a life of love. He says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. What did our Lord do while he hung on the cross? What did he do to those very people that had beat him? They had ridiculed him, that were mocking him, that were scorning him, that were belittling him. What did he do? He looked upon them. He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He did the very thing that we're being charged to do right here. He says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that? To you, for even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do that. 
And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. He says, you know, if you do this, you're, what's the difference between you and everyone else in the world? Nothing. But he says, I tell you, love your enemies. And do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. Why? For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Therefore, be merciful as your Father is merciful. For what measure you use, it will be given unto you. Brothers and sisters, what does the Lord's Prayer tell us? When the disciples came and said, teach us how to pray, what does he say? What does he say? Our Father who art in heaven, or at least the way I learned it, (laughs) hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And do what? What? Say it louder. Forgive us what? Our trespasses what? Just as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's a scary verse to me. Just like Matthew 18 is extremely scary to me about the unmerciful servant who was forgiven so much and refused to forgive another, who in comparison, it was minuscule. I had a great deal of pain in my heart a couple weeks ago when we went down to Alamosa to visit some dear friends and to share the ministry. And as I was talking to him, he'd been a missionary on the field in Albania and come back after about five years. And we were talking about different things. And I'd lived in the valley for 15 years down there around Alamosa. And we were talking around, and he shared with me the fracturing that's going on in the different congregations in the valley. And my heart just bled. My heart just hurt. And Lynn and I have talked about it a little bit. And, you know, it's so sad. It's so sad to me. So I can't imagine how sad it is before the Lord that his children and his people do not live a life of love one with another or with their neighborhoods and their communities. We're called to be the light. We're called to be the face of God. And it starts within the family of God. How can we go out to a hurting world? How can we go out to a world that I'm telling you, I teach at a college, and the, the students that are there are hurting I just had a chance Friday to spend an hour and a half with a young man who was on the verge of suicide a week or two ago. And this young man poured his heart out to me and wept to me. He was hurting for the love of God. And I was able to share that love with him. We live in a world like that. We don't have to go overseas. It's right across the street. It's right across the aisle, guys. What does living a life of love look like? What does it really look like? What are the attitudes? What are the underlying heart issues that we have to understand and how we interact with each other? I'm going to read an extremely familiar verse to you, but I want you to see it in a different light. 
I want you to see it as an expression of God's character and how he interacts with us. And I want you to see it as a way in which he has admonished us and exhorted us to be his imitator and to live as a kingdom citizen, as the king would live before those around us. It says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, anybody know where I'm at? First Corinthians, the very good. You passed the quiz. Very good. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Do you get the idea what he's trying to say here? All the things that we want to hang our perception and our ideas of what does it mean to be spiritually on fire? What does it mean to be spiritually successful? What are the outward marks of that, right? These look pretty powerful to me. But what did he say? If your heart is not moving with a heart of love, because you understand what's been done for you, and you go and do likewise, this is this stuff is meaningless. It's meaningless. It has no innate spiritual power really invested in it. But what does he go on to say? Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Our verse today that Sharon read was out of Matthew 22. I have come to embrace Matthew 22, 36 through 40, in what I call the unifying theme of Scripture. Now, I know that Messiah is the focus, the focal point of Scripture. But I want to share with you something that's fundamentally changed my life. And I want to throw it out for you to consider. And that is, when we see that we are told What is the greatest commandment? What is the greatest mitzvah? What's the greatest good work we could do? It would be to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and soul. We sing it every Shabbat. And I hope it's more than just words. I hope it's more than just liturgy. I hope it's more than just ritual. I hope you truly mean it. He said, that's the first And that's the greatest. Ah, but wait a minute. There's a second one like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And those of us that are familiar with this book realize what that means. Not only those that make it easy to love, not only those that I'm drawn to love, but what about those that I find offensive? What about those that I find very difficult to be around for whatever reason? And you know what the most of it is? 
because they've offended me somehow. I don't know how, but somehow they did, and I just don't want to be around them. He says, you go and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, let me suggest to you that you read Scripture with a different eye now. Let me suggest to you that you see that all that is written in here is to help me know what that looks like and help me know how that works out in practice and how people have tried and not tried to do it in the past and what God's response to it was. So let me suggest to you that Scripture, all of it, from Genesis to Revelation, helps me to know what does it look like to love the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, and soul, and my neighbor as myself. Because what did he say? All of the Torah and the prophets hang on those two. So you see, I'm, not, I'm just a little slow getting to it. The Lord already said it. But we have to believe it and we have to embrace it. So my question to us now today is, am I being the face of God to those around me? Oh, we can talk about being spiritual. We can talk about serving. We can talk about ministry. We can talk about programs. We can talk about all this stuff. But let's be really clear this morning. It's all useless talk if we're not pursuing those two love relationships from the heart. So you see, it's a matter of priority, isn't it? If we try to do any work in and of ourselves, forget it. We already read that, didn't we? If I do this thing and if I do that great work, if I do, but if, if it's not motivated by love, what's its use? It's, there's no use. So God has laid before us a challenge this morning, a challenge to look deep inside. A challenge to ask myself, have I turned, as the scripture would call it, an evil eye to those who are in need? If I see someone hurting, if I see someone with a physical need, a spiritual need, an emotional need, and God has placed it on my heart to be able to do something to help address that need, and I turn an eye because I just don't really have time, or I'm too much into my own pity party, or I'm too much just into my own goals and desires and everything. You see what I'm saying? Scripture says that's an evil eye. So don't do that. Have a good eye. Have an eye that looks with a generous and compassionate heart on those around us. You see, he's asking us to come before his light today. And he's asking us to look in our hearts and say, where am I today? Look for ways, I pray, to minister to those around you. He's called us to be ministers. Do you know that? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says we are ambassadors. We are representatives. And I stand before you today as an ambassador of Messiah, and I exhort you, fall in love with Yeshua. Fall in love with Yeshua. Give up the bitterness you may be harboring in your heart. It displeases and dishonors Yeshua. Give up the hurt and the pain. Every one of us sitting here have been hurt badly at one time or another, more recent or later. And it's very real pain. It's very real hurt. He says, 
my feet. I will heal you. Don't trust in man. Lay it at my feet. I will heal you. But in the midst of our healing, in the midst of our being restored to spiritual and emotional and physical health by his loving touch, we dare not, we dare not harbor any anger, unforgiveness, harshness, bitterness with one another. We dare not, for healing will not come in that frame of mind. We dare not. So you see, he offers us such hope. He offers us such encouragement. He offers us such healing. He says, just come. Come. I love you. You're my child. The image that I always have is my little girl when she was at home and she would hurt herself or something would happen. Someone would say an unkind word to her and it would crush her. And I'd say, come here, babe. Just get in my lap. Come here. Let me hug you. Let me reinforce you. Let me embrace you. That's what God is reaching out to us, telling us. Just bring your hurt. Bring your pain. Climb into my lap and let me hold you. Feel my heartbeat for you. Feel my gentle kiss on your forehead. I love you. You're my child. Let go of the pain. Let go of the anger. Let go of the bitterness and be filled with my joy and filled with my ability to forgive and grace others and be restored. That's how we'll be the light. That's how we'll be the face of God one to another. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you, Lord, in a state of worship and praise. Lord, we're confronted in your word with who we were outside of you. But Lord, we're encouraged and we're filled with joy when we see who we are now in you. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace and mercy that you give us every moment of every day. Lord, we thank you that we have a security in you that we can find nowhere else. We have a hope in you that the world cannot give, Lord. Our Messiah himself told us that if he sets us free, we're free indeed. Lord, free us that we may love as you loved. Lord, free us from ourselves Free us from the control of our fallen natures. Lord, let us realize that to truly love others, we must die to self. For we see, Lord, indeed the pattern in Messiah himself, that that's what he did. As so dramatically shown in the garden, in which he yielded in a way that I cannot comprehend. I can't get my arms around that. But Lord, somehow, some way in his humanity, he gave us an example of yielding all to the will of the Father. 
And Lord, we pray for that in our own lives. Let us be yielded people. Lord, let us fall with a joy inexpressible before you that we have been counted worthy to be your servants, your servants of mercy, your servants of love to those around us. Oh, Lord, I pray now, touch each one of us here this morning in a powerful way, Lord. Send your spirit upon us, I pray. Lord, that we may exalt in your presence. We may come before you for cleansing. We may come before you for healing. We may come before you for reconciliation. One with another this morning, Lord. We pray this now in the name of our Messiah, Yeshua. Amen.